Before we get back to today's show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. And a full 360 view of every customer. So your go-to-market team can keep up on the pulse of accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Today, we're talking with Greg Eisenberg, CEO of Late Checkout, a business builder and community expert. And he's going to give us his framework for how you define and build communities. We're going to break down what makes a successful community, why AI might make communities more valuable and more important than ever. And if you're a founder, when and how you should think about adding communities to your business business model. That and much more all on today's show. All right, welcome back, Greg. We are going to do part two. This part is all going to be around community. If you want to understand how to integrate community into your company, make community part of the company, make it part of your kind of growth engine, stick around. We're going to ask Greg how to do that. The other thing is, if you want to build a community business where community is actually the business, stick around because we are going to figure out what is the business community business you should build in the future. So, Greg, welcome back. Part two. Friend of the pod, three-timer. I think he's our most visited guest. I mean, Greg Eisenberg, it's it's wonderful to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Part three, baby. And (laughs) the only thing I'll add to the agenda is why you should care about community. I was hoping maybe we could start there with like the definition caring part of community. Both like, how do you define community? And like, in the ways to build a business or grow a business, where would you rank community and like effective strategies for doing that? See, the problem with when people say community-led business or community-based product <laughs> is people are just throwing the word community like it ain't no thing. Like it ain't no <laughs> totally. thing. And for some of those businesses, it actually works. And sometimes it's just marketing speak that I think is really masking it. When there's a real true community-based product, it is magical. And I'd love to define what that is. Please. So maybe, yeah, maybe we'll start with that. So you know me, I love frameworks and... I came up with a framework called the Tribe Framework in order to test, is this a community? And Tribe stands for T, is there togetherness? R, are there rituals? I, is there member identity? B, is there belonging? And E, is there engagement? Now, if you don't have those things, you don't have a community and you don't have a community-based product. The difficult thing with saying what community is, is it touches so many different disciplines. You know, having member identity could mean having a brand that really just connects with people. Having engagement might mean you have to build some IRL experiences like programming or events. And I'm happy to unpack this as much or as little as you want. But I think the reality is a community-based product is a mix of design, brand, product, social, in a way that makes people want to 
go on the rooftop and scream about your product. Can you give us an example of a business that people might think is a community? Like uh, somebody who has a community that's actually not a community and a community that is a real community by that tribe definition, just so people could like tangibly understand what is and what is not a community. I was talking to someone earlier today who has an Instagram account, which is basically funny memes. (laughs) And... I don't want to give too much away because I don't want to like, you know, but he's got multi-million followers and he makes memes directed at, I don't know, 18 to 24 year olds. Now it's incredible what he's been able to create. You know, he has a real business. Like the guy is making about two and a half million dollars of profit per year on a, on about 3 million followers on his Instagram account. And he kept repeating the word community. Yeah. My community, my community. Now, when you look at the tribe framework, it just doesn't fit the tribe framework. It's just an audience. And there's a difference between an audience and a community. If this guy stops posting on Instagram, his engagement will go basically to zero. Now, if he was a real community and he was hosting a real community, that wouldn't die. That's an example of an audience versus a community. When I think of tribe for a community, I think we can get into like rituals, identity and engagement, but I kind of understand those ones. The, the real hard thing is the together and belonging. And I, I, I want to kind of just dive into that a little bit. The reason I selfishly want to dive into this, I want to try to like use my favorite show at the time to describe what I where I'm going with this question. <laughs> so I'm obsessed by like Squid Game Challenge. I really love the original Squid Game. I think the challenge is like this really interesting game where you get to see like human psychology up front and close. And actually when you watch the show, it's like really interesting that you see all these clicks form that people have a sense of togetherness with each other, right? They find some sort of commonality and you over time see this group of 400 humans start to drift into all these groups where there's commonality across the groups. And that really, when I'm thinking through your tribe, it's like the togetherness and belonging, right? You start to see like how that plays out in, in a real environment. But if you're trying to start a community from scratch, whether you have a product and you want to build a community around it, or you just want to build community and monetize community in some way in the business, where do you even start with the togetherness and belonging? Like, how do I as a a founder or a marketer or someone start to like think through solving that problem? You need a space, you know, (laughs) and that space could be a digital space or it can be an in-person space. And I actually think that we always tend to create digital spaces because it's easy. But I actually think there's a huge, huge amount of alpha right now, post-COVID, to create just events, really, to bring people together and have people get to know one another, to see them in the flesh. You know, we often forget we're human beings, right? And human beings are social creatures. Like we started off thousands of years ago by gathering around, you know, caves and fires and then, you know, small towns and you know, now all of a sudden we live in these like mega cities. We're connected to the internet where we can are connected to billions of people. We're posting on broadcast social media where, you know, I can tweet and hundreds of thousands of people are going to see my tweet. And that's more artificial than it is natural. And I think that my prediction is that the brands that are going to actually get people to not just create customers, but create raving fans are the ones that are going to master this tribe framework. And you're seeing it all the time. I'll give you an example. I saw an article that went viral this weekend. And I think it was the Daily Mail that said that Soho House is 
cutting off their membership. Yeah, I was about to bring the same thing up. It's New York, Miami, and LA. They're accepting no more members in their, which are ostensibly their three biggest US markets. I went to Soho House the other day in Miami. I had to wait in a line to get to a line to get to a line into Soho House. <laughs> and not included in that is like the, the invisible line, which is you need to be a member. Yeah. So what can we learn from Soho House, which is a community-based business? What can we learn? There's a huge pent-up demand for these type of exclusive experiences that are community experiences. You know, when people join Soho House, they're joining because it's aspirational and they want to meet interesting people, period. The problem that SOAs have, which is a champagne problem, but it is a real problem, is they want to charge members $5,000 a year and they've got a lot of demand and they're letting everyone in but it's making the experience worse. Mm. It is making the experience worse. And that's a classic example. Sometimes it happens with community-based products, which is the more people doesn't make it better. Yes. There's a negative network effect at, at a point, right? At a point. And then you have to figure out, once you get there, you have to figure out how can I maintain, if not, you know, I want to keep this magic but I also want to grow my business. And there's ways to do that. One thing I on the together and belonging, like I feel like that's a space. But the thing that I think is really hard is like, what's the thing, right? Like what's the commonality to bring people together to feel a sense of belonging? Because creating a community is like, how do I find something that is deeply like a magnet to these people, but is still differentiated enough that it doesn't look like every other single community. And that's what I find most people struggle with is like, oh, I'm creating another community for founders. I'm creating another community for marketers. I'm creating another community for people who want to pick stocks, right? Like to, to together and belong in like the thing that you bring people together for, does that matter as much as the experience or do you try to differentiate on the experience, which is like maybe why Soho House works so well? Let's get tactical. So if I was starting a community-based business today, I wouldn't start with, I'm building something for XYZ group. I'm building something for founders. I would start with a milestone for a particular group. I am building something for founders who have gotten through YC to help them raise Series A and Series B and Series C. We are the community for those types of people. And there is an outcome. It can't just be for these people. It has to be for these people and an outcome. It sounds like a small distinction, but <laughs> it is so big because human beings are selfish and we want to get something out of the products that we buy. I think one of my favorite community-based examples is a business called Rafa. It's basically like a, a high-end cycling apparel company. And they have this sort of yearly membership that you can join in cities like London and New York, and you show up and these it basically matches you with other cyclists in your area. So if you're going to show up to a RAFA meeting in London, in Shoreditch, let's just say, obviously you're going to be wearing RAFA gear. You're not wearing Nike to a RAFA meetup or else people, you're not a part of the club. So the milestone here is I want to get better at cycling. I'm going to join the RAFA membership and the product is the gear that you buy. And the more deep you get into uh, cycling, the more product you're going to buy. And that becomes beautiful. So you're getting 
recurring revenue, subscription-based revenue from uh, the membership. Love it. And you're getting this one-time buying that makes you deeper, deeper. Uh, I think David Spinks calls the community commitment curve. You are becoming more and more committed to the community as you're buying more and more product. And that's just a beautiful flywheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're aligning your community participation to the monetization of the brand. Exactly. Right? And the best part about that is not only do you make money as people engage more in community, you're also building your brand during that whole thing because you're building this army of people who is wearing your brand around, talking about your brand, riding around London with your brand on their back. And that is a really powerful thing. And Rafa is doing something that I think is very hard, which is monetizing a community directly and monetizing that community separately through this the sale of goods and gear and, and everything else, which is pretty incredible. And it should be noted that the cost of not wearing Rafa is massive, right? <laughs> I think that's a very smart point. So how do you position your product to be that? That the cost of your product is almost like the entrance to the club. You need to wear that or else you're going to be looked at kind of funny. I always say one of my favorite, you know, community quotes of all time is the Andy Warhol quote, which says, Studio 54 is a dictatorship at the door, but a democracy on the dance floor. It's my favorite quote. The reason why I like it so much is it makes sense, right? Like the, <laughs> <laughs> like going back to the Soho's example, if it wasn't a dictatorship at the door and anyone could join, then it becomes a lot less interesting for people to join. Well, yeah. Yeah. So like building on that, like I was talking to somebody, a friend uh, last week who has a house in Malibu and the So House in Malibu only exists if you are a homeowner in Malibu. So it's like the best version of this business model where you have to be a homeowner. So it's a very small select group. It's the ultimate dictatorship. You have to belong to this and you have to own land in this little tiny super expensive place before you could ever even like walk through the door in that but the experience is 10 times better there than like the so house of miami where greg was you know in three different lines to get in during art basel and it being like a crazy crazy week yeah and i think you know the power of community is probably so big that there are people in the world who are actually looking at buying a $5 million property in Malibu, a $10 million property. Oh, easily. Yes. A $20 million property because they want access to that Soho house. 100%. And I think you're kind of here making an argument that community equity is, if not as important, maybe more important than brand equity because of the togetherness, right? I think, Kieran, you did the right call out here because you were like, look, a lot of different businesses have aspects of that tribe framework. The biggest disconnect is the togetherness because a lot of those things to greg's point it's an audience i'm talking directly to you about this thing that people are not talking to each other and once you have people talking to each other about your brand about the problem you're solving it goes back to like a darmesh shah quote which is like your success is directly dependent on how many people want you to be successful, right? Right. The more people who love your brand, the more successful your brand's going to be. And I think that is like the ultimate community flywheel once it gets going. I also, I'll I'll say a a hot take because I know, or a spicy take because I know, you know, you guys are the type of people that would appreciate this, but I think that AI is basically going to kill so many different brands and it's going to level up so many different community-based brands. And I'll unpack that a little. 
in a world where you have all these incredible tools, powerful tools, companies like you know, OpenAI have spent billions of dollars in creating software that anyone can create content, you're going to see a flood, an absolute flood of content for brands all over. And what's going to happen is a lot of these brands are all going to look and feel the same. It's going to feel like you're walking into a McDonald's. <laughs> and the ones that are going to Every brand's stand, a hamburger? Every brand. Every brand. And it's because a lot of CMOs are saying, hey, you need to be on ChatGPT. You need to be using Runway ML. You need to be using all these tools. Blaze.ai for copy. Jasper. All these different tools. And it's all going to start to look the same. But it's the ones that are going to stand out are going to be the ones that are going to master. My prediction is going to be the ones that are going to master this tribe framework, understand I need to build something different. And as Seth Godin says, like purple cow, right? Like, I think that we're entering this community age where the brands that are going to stick out are going to be like, you might look weird wearing Rafa out there, but to someone else who is into Rafa, you're like, you're cool. So I think Kip and I agree that all brands start to look the same. I still think that even in your tribe framework, one of the things that still is key and still key to building brands is storytelling. So anyone who can tell somewhat of a differentiated story is going to have some semblance of a tribe, right? That's like standing out. You're going to have people, if you can be like much more polarizing, I, I guess you don't have to be much more polarizing, but you have to be much more differentiated. So you have people who can see themselves in you. And maybe that's a large number of people or a small number of people. But if you follow through that narrative and like all brands start to see the same and we start to see diminishing returns on these channels and everyone light bulb goes off and wow, like the thing we really need to do is invest in the community aspect of our business, then you just get many more companies vying for the same attention. That's kind of what I was trying to get at is like, let's say, I really like what you said, Greg, which is it's not just like the person, it's a person plus outcome. But what really does differentiate one community from another if everyone is going after the founder who's qualified from YC and you're trying to get them to raise their next grant? And there's like, there used to be five communities vying for that business. And now because of AI and everything is getting saturated, people realize the value of community. Now there's a thousand, right? Like same thing that happened on search happens to community if everyone realizes like, that's the place I should invest. And I'm wondering like, what does differentiate a great community versus an okay community if they're uh, vying for the same attention. I completely disagree with this take, Karen. <laughs> what, yeah, what part? Go, okay, go what for it. Uh, uh, like, because communities are not commoditized, right? The no, but very, I, they're not commoditized yet. My point no, is, no, they're not commoditized I would yet. argue they're not commoditizable. Okay, you make your argument and then I will argue back because <laughs> I, I think that's completely false. Well, no, because let's let's take... Our running example of communities for somebody, a founder who's graduated YC. Right. It's very commoditizable to start an online community for founders who graduated YC. It's very hard to commoditize a true community where, hey, you know what? We have physical spaces in Boston, New York, San Francisco for these YC founders. We have VCs who go through these spaces Five days a week. We have special partnerships with Ramp and Brex and all these people who then give you special preference and terms for your technology, all of those things. That is not commoditizable. Yep, you've just literally made my point for me because the thing I was asking is 
if X number of communities now go after the same business, how do you differentiate? You just actually given an example of how you would differentiate. There is not an infinite supply of founders who qualify from YC and are looking to raise their next seed. That is somewhat capped. And so if you have 10 companies that are trying to vie for that attention versus in a post-AI world, a thousand, like any other channel where we have tried to garner attention, it becomes much more competitive and you have to do much better to get that attraction. Let's, let's, let's what, get what let you, Greg what, chime in before yeah, I Yeah, let Greg I chime in before we go back more. and forth forever here. <laughs> we'll be right back. But before, let me tell you about another podcast I love. Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Ever noticed how the smallest changes can have the biggest impact? On Nudge, you learn simple evidence-backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, grow a business. Every bite-sized 20-minute show comes packed with practical advice. Nudge is fast-paced, but it's still insightful with real-world examples that you can apply. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest-growing business podcast. If you want an MBA's worth of insight in one podcast, this is the right show for you. Entrepreneurs will love this show because it's filled with repeatable proven studies not hearsay and one-off success stories. You're going to love the show because I was interviewed by Phil. You can go check out my episode. And I recently listened to an awesome episode. It's called Six Scientifically Proven Persuasion Techniques. It's a must listen for anyone in marketing. Listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, so what are we saying here? We're saying that in a world where it's so easy to create a community in a world where it's so easy to create software, right? Like I saw a video the other day of someone literally drawing on a piece of paper what the interface of Twitter is and using AI right. to build saw, Twitter, literally. Totally so if you wild. can build a $40 billion company in four minutes in terms of building the software, there needs to be a moat, right? There's going to be way more competition for everyone who cares about standing out in the new economy, it sounds like you need to get your community and marketing skills pretty high. And you need to be able to be the person that's being copied, not the person copying other people. I could tell you in paid search content, I can tell you what is the thing that would differentiate a great strategy versus a mediocre strategy. So if someone's copying that great person, what is that great person doing well? Using the Soho House example, like if Soho House starts by having a ritual where at three o'clock there's a tea service where they match you up with other people in the room and it becomes really popular and it's a big reason why people sign up to Soho House, then I'm sure other organizations are going to copy it. So I think, you know, what you have to be, if you want to build a community based product that's going to be the one that's copied, then you need to be constantly throwing out really crazy ideas that you think will resonate with your audience and build a culture of experimentation so that you're constantly building new ideas faster than other people. I think that's what you have to do. Or else, mm -hmm. you know, what's the alternative? The alternative is you're playing a commodities game and you're just trying to breathe and keep your head about, above water. And that's no way to A, build a business. And as a founder, like that's a really tough place to be. It sounds like yeah. what Greg has said, like 
trying to find a ritual that really resonates and gets a ton of traction like, and, or an experience, like a, a unique mm -hmm. or differentiated experience is one of them. I was like curious about if I'm there, hey, I'm gonna have like 500 more competitors. How can I make sure that I am at the, you know, bleeding edge of the things that I can do? I think it's rituals. I think it's spaces. I think it's also like both the members and the leaders, right? Like if somebody started right. a marketing community and you and I were a part of it, it would have a lot more credibility than if like five junior marketers two years out of school were in that, right? Like that's right. just, I think those are the ways you differentiate. And the challenge with any of those is like, how do you get the business model to work? And I think that's why a lot of people have challenged with community businesses is because there's no like one perfect business model, right? Like there's a lot of different business models that could be successful depending on how you need to invest in those things. Yeah, I also think to that point, I think in 2024, we're gonna see a lot more paid membership mm, for sure communities you're, you're already starting to see it it's SaaS like revenue without building any SaaS. so if you want to create a paid membership you basically need to come up with who am i building this for what is the milestone and then how do i bring those people in here to get them from point a to point b so for example like i did this just for fun just to like prove that this could happen you know i i recently launched paid community for people who want to build community-based products. <laughs> it's like <laughs> super a, a meta. meta a meta topic. <laughs> I love yeah. it. And it's like a private community and it, and it comes with like a free school membership which is so basically the cost of it is $99 a month. The school if you want to build your own is $99 a month. So it's like literally free if you think about it. And I started to think about what are some like crazy rituals that we can start offering people and like one of them is like what I call like a punch you in the face meeting which is basically <laughs> <laughs> I, tell, tell us more about these punch getting punched like in the face, one. Greg. This is my favorite. Well, I don't know. Okay, I'll get into it. It originated basically many years ago. I was, you know, one of my close friends, Julian Smith. He's a New York Times bestselling author. We lived in Montreal, Canada, and we set up a meeting at 7 a.m. every single Monday, where he would ask me, you know, did you complete what you did last week? And he would hold me accountable, mm -hmm. and I would do the same for him. And we called it the punch you in the face meeting because Montreal gets like more snow than I think any major yeah, metropolis it's city. It's wild. It's not fun to get up, you know, at six in the morning and walk through two feet of snow to get to this coffee shop. But you, we did it to, for that accountability. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of founders fail is just accountability. So like our paid membership, there's no other punch you in the face meetings and other, you know, like these are the ideas that not only create a moat, but also create a culture. And people get very connected to these meetings. So going back to why I like paid membership is like built it, didn't do much marketing for it. You know, I think it brings in like $20,000 a month of revenue. It's like quarter of a million dollars, right? If you think about that, if you value that as a SaaS company <laughs> at like eight times, all the, basically out of thin air, I created seven figures of enterprise value from a paid membership. And I think you're gonna see a lot of people do this. Yeah, There was one Christmas season or one holiday season where there was a game and you could load a foam on a Whipped hand. Cream and or you, shaving cream yeah, pie, right? And you could like play roulette or something and someone got the pie face. Yeah. The, the story of that business is pretty fascinating. Someone set that up and like earned millions of dollars. 
instead of punching the face, you could have like remote control pie face, pie face <laughs> each, pie, you know, pie, pie face each other. There's um three things just to reiterate for our listeners, three things that are like, I really resonate with me in this talk so far, which is number one, I really like the kind of pairing the persona with the outcome or just like the category of people with the outcome. The ritual seems to matter. Like that's the thing I was really trying to get at, right? It's like, I'm trying to like figure out what truly matters. And it sounds like these rituals truly, truly matter. And then the other thing I'm thinking through as we're talking, it feels like the more friction, and maybe this isn't for all communities, but like a lot of successful communities, the more friction you can have in the application process, the better. Like one of the things that Web3 companies were truly, really great at was community building because it's actually how they built a lot of their businesses is communities around tokens. And I joined a couple of communities and boy, they had so much friction in actually getting into the community that when I got the notification to say, they've accepted my money, <laughs> like literally paying for this <laughs> stuff to pay to be in this community. And now I've actually managed to join. I was like ecstatic. I was like, wow, I'm in here. Like I was texting my other crew who all love crypto. And I'm curious about that, how you think like certain friction in the application process or who can join, what role that has, Greg, do you think in making these successful communities? If you want someone to want something, <laughs> tell them they can't have it. Right. Scarcity. The two there's two plays in marketing. Make it free or make it scarce. Right. And free communities aren't interesting. Scarce are, is what I think, Greg, you're saying. That's how I summarize it. I think scarcity is a hell of a drug, man. <laughs> it, it is I think it's one of the world's great drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with these community based businesses, playing with that lever is a huge, huge lever that is at your advantage. You have to be a great salesperson because you have to somewhat know what makes that person truly tick. Like yeah. to have that amount of friction and have them want to go through that. Like for a software product, like it's because you, you're a lot of B2B companies, your job is telling you to like pick a piece of software. So you have to sometimes overcome that friction. But for a community business, there's, I think, easier to like fall out of that funnel. So you have to have like real ability to sell that person on that value, like why your community is valuable enough for them to kind of jump through all those hoops. I think the other thing that really good communities that I've seen or been a part of done is that they recruit the right seed membership. Yes. Right. Where it's not like, oh, hey, I'm just me and I'm going to start this community. You're all going to go through this high friction process. It's like, no, I went out and I've gotten 50 amazing people. And if just the 50, 51 of us just hung out, we would have the best, most valuable time. And because of that, because of there's this, you know, center of gravity here, you're going to want to be a part of it. It's not, it's, it's a very scarce thing to get to be able to spend time with everybody. And I think that is what really makes it go. I don't know, Greg, like, do you see the best community start that way too, where it's kind of like seated with a membership? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, a community-based product is culture. You know, like there's a culture that's created. So going back to the Rafa example, if I showed up to that London meetup and the people were mean to me and, you know, weren't that interesting <laughs> or they were experts and I'm a beginner, like there's all, you know, there's a million reasons why I would leave that experience and be like, that wasn't for me. And what you're trying to do if you're building a community-based product is you're actually trying to do the opposite. The outcome you want is for me to go to that experience and be like, that was for me. Mm. And if you could do that, you've succeeded. And the way to do that is by seeding 
properly in the beginning, but also to maintain and grow your community thoughtfully. And that's why a lot of venture-backed community-based products fall into this trap of yes. it's they want to grow at all costs and I don't blame them. I've been there, you know, I've raised millions of dollars. I was a part of the WeWork story. We raised billions of dollars. So I know that pressure very well and intimately. And you can't do that to a community-based business. It just, you can't be throwing gasoline on a community-based business without, you know, you have to, you should be sprinkling gasoline, not throwing it. Yeah, I feel like we need the right metaphor there, where it's like you need a different type of accelerant in a community-based business, right? Yeah. The analogy that people use for venture-backed startups is a fire, literally, right? And putting gasoline on a fire. But a community-based business isn't a fire. It's a plant that you water daily. Mm -hmm. And you love your plant. And you you smell your plant and you look at your plant and you look at the ground of it and you put fertilizer in it and you name it something and you tell your friends about it. It's a plant. Kip's always telling me about his plant. It's really tiresome. <laughs> the, 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 thing, the thing with communities, actually, the interesting thing about communities is like in a software product, you want hockey stick growth. Hockey stick growth will likely kill a community because you grow so fast, the quality of the community diminishing. Like there's probably a pretty interesting chart. You can draw it that you have to get the perfect balance between growth and quality of the community. And those two things can sometimes be an opposite, you know, forces against each other. And so you have to have this, like, it's more like growing a marketplace, right? If you actually have to grow like an Airbnb or something, there's like this perfect balance between the hosts and the hostees to get the quality bar at the right, you know, it's like a seesaw, right? Like if you go one up to the end, the quality bar is continually changing to good to bad. And so it feels like the community, you have to grow it in a different way. You have to grow it in a more kind of organic, have I got the right balance between the quality and the amount of new members joining? Yeah, and it's tough as a founder because as founders, we have a bias for action and we want to see numbers go up. So, but the best community-based founders understand that it's okay to grow linearly for a while. And in fact, you maybe you should grow linearly for a while. And I don't want people to listen to this and be like, oh, I'm not going to start a community-based business because it's not a big opportunity. I can't create a lot of value. And no, that's not the case at all. There's plenty of examples of, including ones that we've mentioned today that are billion-dollar businesses that have community at its core. But the reality is, is you have to grow linearly for a while. Well, what's interesting about it is that your tribe framework is not just a framework for defining community. You would also just say that same framework is you want a health metric for each of the aspects of that tribe framework. And you can actually grow as fast as you can, as long as the metrics around togetherness, rituals, belonging are okay. It's when they start to get out of whack that you need to slow down to make sure you you don't lose the core tribe of Mm. the community. Right. That's what I'm hearing. There might be times where you have hockey stick growth, but you might have to then slow down to rebalance the core foundational elements of the community. That's right. And you can also have hockey stick growth in other products that are adjacent. So if you're Rafa, I don't care if you spend $10 million on a Super Bowl ad and go and try to sell $150 million of cycling gear over the next 12 months. That's okay if it doesn't hurt the core cycling experience. So I think it's okay to have some products that you create that, you know, might not dilute the brand, 
you could spend money on ads, you can spend money on SEO, no worries. But there are portions of your business that, for example, like the Psyching Group or the Soho House Tea Time that needs to see linear growth, not hockey stick growth. I love that. All right, we are out of time. Kieran, did you have anything you wanted to cover before we closed out today? We'll wrap on one question because I know we will get dinged if we don't ask this to Greg. So all those companies that are disrupted by AI, in B2B in particular, if you're a founder, one of the most common questions I get asked is like, when, if at all, should I add a community to my business and not a customer support community, right? What do you tell founders who come to you in the B2B space in terms of like, when is a good time to create that community for your business? We are entering an era where if you're a B2B business and you're not thinking about like things like the tribe framework, that it's going to be way more difficult for you to find new customers, maintain your current customers, and have your customers talk about you to other customers. So I think it's really important that if you're a CMO of a business or you're a founder of a business that's selling to other businesses, that you're thinking to yourself, how can I apply this framework to what I'm doing? How can I stand out? How can I create an identity around what I'm doing? How can I create a roadmap for becoming one of these businesses? Because there's a lot of upside in doing it. And the downside of not doing it is pretty high. And to go like specifically, like when to build the community, like the space. Well, that could be on your roadmap. You don't need to do it tomorrow, but it certainly should be something that you're planning ASAP. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think um, we are entering a new era of marketing when AI really becomes more, more ubiquitous. We start to lose a bunch of our search traffic. I think most brands need to be customer centric, really care about the together and belonging and figure out how to like treat their customers in, in that way. So that to me is like a good way to, to end the show. Cool. I love awesome. It. As always, Greg, thanks for being on the show. I'm sure we'll be have you on again very soon. Thanks for breaking down all things community and we'll see everybody next time on Marketing Against the Grain.